Listeners, we would like to thank our supporters on Patreon. That is Nick, Justin, Matt, Matt, Teddy, Paul, Grace, Alex, Sam, Jory, and Annalise. Thank you for your money. We use it to do good stuff. We try. We try anyway. Yeah. Hey, do you know who Larisha Hawkins is? Ethan, no. Who is that? Do you remember like years ago, she was that uh, um, faculty person at Wheaton College who wore the hijab in solidarity with uh, uh, Muslim women and, and, and like spiritual abuse and stuff like that. And then like she got like fired from Wheaton because of that and all this terrible stuff happened. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't she also then teach an American? Uh, she might have, but she's at UVA now. Oh. And and I'm I'm on a page on the Project for Live Theology. My bio is right below her bio. And so it's almost like it's almost like we're coworkers, which is really exciting. Sure. Anyway, if you don't have any money and you'd like to help us out, you can <laughs> You missed the middle part of it where we tell them what people can get. Anyway, if you've got $5 or more a month to spare and would like to help us do fun stuff, like make some merch. That's the only fun thing we do on this podcast. Is oh, my God. It's it's in progress. I am like slowly but surely creeping toward making it happen. I, um, I mean, it's going to happen. Ooh, or go on the road, do our, our traveling show. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Our, our uh, The live What the Hell is a Pastor in front of a viewing audience. You know, there are people from Gordonsville that listen to our podcast. No. That's true. I don't care. I don't care anymore. Like, And I tell them that. I'm like, are you offended by what, by what we say? And they're like, no. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I say this because we can travel to Gordonsville for a live episode, and I think they'll really like it. I don't even know where Gordonsville is. See? It's no <laughs> big deal, Joe. <laughs> Most people don't even know where it is. <laughs> anyway, if you want to help us do any of that overwhelming stuff, you can join our supporters over at Patreon at patreon.com slash WTHIAP. You also get access to the Patreon-only podcast feed, which has bonus content, and the Patreon-only podcast that Ian and I record, which is called Pillar Talk. Oh, this past week, Ian asked me what the most 2021 thing to happen in 2021 was. Ooh, uh, pretty sure it was the January 6th insurrection. <laughs> See, I just said the month of January because you had the insurrection and then you had impeachment and then you had the inauguration and then you had the, remember GameStop? Then we had GameStop. I do remember GameStop. <laughs> that was pretty funny. That made me laugh. <laughs> if you're not in a position to support us financially, Ethan's favorite spot in the Patreon ad, there are still ways that you can help us out. You can subscribe to us in the podcasting app of your choice, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, share us on the platform of your choice, or follow us on Twitter or Facebook, or just keep listening because that is good too. That's right. And now on to the show. One, two, five, nine. Bible preacher, servant, leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell? Welcome to What the Hell is a Pastor, a podcast about life and set-apart ministry. Each week, we draw on our experiences and challenges as current and former pastors to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can. Listeners, this week on What the Hell is a Pastor, we have a guest with us to talk about doing ministry in a bunch of different churches. It's my friend, Pamela. I'm so excited to invite her on the podcast. So Pamela, introduce yourself to our listeners and as much information as you would like. 
Hello, I'm Pamela. I uh, was a church kid, um, was raised in the Baptist church. Since graduating from university without a degree in religion in any sense, um, I have worked at six churches Ooh. from a variety of denominations. Oh, that's true. Um, from a Bible church to a PCUSA church to a Methodist, a United Methodist church. It's always bad. And then a EPC church, which is Presbyterian, but, you know, there's just a lot of different Presbyterian denominations these days. Um, and I now do not work or go to church and consider myself a recovering clergy. Hey, I like that term. Yeah. Uh, Ethan, did you see on Twitter the other day when CJ was like, it seems that the United Methodist Church cannot ordain anybody cool. And I was like, you can see. That's why I'm not ordained. That's true. Um, yeah. That's I think correct. we're all recovering clergy, but Ethan is still doing clergy things. <laughs> but I'm definitely still recovering. I'm definitely still recovering. Back on the wagon. Mm. Um, so Pamela... I'm trying to think about the best place, like the best inroad to start into your ministry journey. You did, you named the different denominations, which was actually was going to be my first question. But maybe, uh, yeah, tell me what um, what got you started into ministry in the first place? Uh, going from being, were you a vocal major or just in the vocal studies program? Yes, I have a double major from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill in vocal performance and speech and hearing science. Mm -hmm. My plan was to get my master's in speech pathology and a separate master's in vocal pedagogy and work with singers who've hurt their voices while also working with um, patients with fluency disorders using music as a therapy. Wow. But upon graduating from university, I wanted a break from formal schooling uh, right. and was already volunteering at a youth group at a church with the youth group under circumstances that I previously would have told you uh, I was moved by the Holy Spirit to do so, um, mm. or I would have said possessed by the Holy Spirit to do so. Literally words came out of my mouth that I did not plan them to and ended up volunteering in this youth ministry. And so when I was thinking about what happens after I received my diploma from the university. Uh, it came up to intern with the youth ministry at this church. Um, this was a Bible church. So it was a few months into this experience where they said, uh, what's your plan here? And I was like, I'm trying to love Jesus and love kids and hopefully pay my bills in the process. I was also working at, as a barista Caribou Coffee. at Caribou Coffee. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it was in that faithful conversation at a small table at Jason's Deli where I was told, you can't be a minister. You're a woman. Of course. And, <laughs> and um, I was raised in a Baptist church in North Carolina, and this was a brand new idea to me. Oh, really? Um, because it was 2012. And yeah. um, I had female ministers growing up. Um, I wasn't asking to be the lead pastor. Um, I wasn't, and I 
think I, you know, said a lot of things um, as a 21 year old in this meeting, um, just out of shock, purely of like, I don't care what you call me. I don't need the title minister. I want to do the role. Mm -hmm. And I think I can think I'm gifted for it. Um, And so that's really what characterized that church experience for me is that um, major gender role issues that were not revealed to me until well after I had served on staff for several months, which I just think should have been brought up before I was offered a position on staff. Yeah. Especially if it was going to be that you weren't going to be able to move forward in any way because of how they understood who and who, who could and couldn't be in ministry. Yeah. I had completely forgotten that part of it. Listeners, Pamela and I used to, we were friends in college and we lived together for a year after college and have been friends since clearly. Um, But that was the year that we were living together in Chapel Hill. So what a time. Um, So was there any aspect of that, that experience that made you kind of want to push back and go into ministry to kind of prove them wrong. Like, cause that's, that's my gut reaction when somebody tells me I can't do something is like motherfucker, watch me do it. And, but I can't remember if that was part of your motivation than taking your next position or not. No, that actually had no part of it. I just was so caught off guard that people still thought that. Right. Um, that I was like, okay, well then I'm going to go somewhere else and I'm going to ask the questions up front then. So at every church I have interviewed since, I have said, what are your thoughts on women in ministry? Would you affirm me in this role and support me? I've been burned before. I will not be burned again. Wow. And so I've just been very upfront because I would rather not be offered a job because I said that rather mm-hmm. than be offered a job and be slapped in the face again. Yeah. Gosh. Um, how, do, how do they react when you interview and you ask that question? Luckily, every every church I was at, we're like, no, we're totally down with it. Like, not an issue, not a problem. Um, it's also what led me to the Presbyterian denomination. I know. Um, was not raised Presbyterian. I was raised Baptist, but found that the PCUSA in particular was um, in their statement of beliefs affirming of women in ministry and knew that that would be a, um, as a rule, safer place to walk into. But I still asked to have the conversation in every interview. Yeah. Where does the PCUSA land on the gays? Um, I can't remember. I know that like, I know that there are many different Presbyterian nominations. I never remember which one is the affirming one. PCUSA is, is a, has like a one church model. Okay. So it's congregation wise. Kind of like the so Latin church. PCUSA, the PCA does not believe in women in ministry. Yeah. The PCA are the super conservative ones. Gotcha. And then I've also worked at um, ECO and EPC, which are two more conservative um, branches breaking away from the PCUSA, but I believe they're both still okay with women in ministry. It's just whether they would let women be pastors and that oh, right. I never wanted to be a pastor. So for me, it was a non-issue. As long as you're going to be okay with me doing ministry in the role that you have advertised, mm-hmm. then I have them like whatever, another battle for another time, but not for now. Yeah. So what, what made you pursue 
youth ministry and the locations that you served as a youth minister versus wanting to do ordination? Because I know that when you served at a Methodist church, they had tried to like nudge you toward the deacon track and you're like, that's not where I really want to be. So what, what led you to be where you were? So when I was in Chapel Hill exploring that call to ministry, I visited multiple seminaries, um, really exploring that traditional track. Mm -hmm. Uh, Was I going to go to Campbell? Was I going to go to Princeton Theological? I remember you visiting, yeah. Duke. (laughs) Was I going to go to Gordon-Conwell, which I actually applied and got in and enrolled. And then um, they sent me a bill and I dropped out. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've worked in churches and they don't pay you that much. So I couldn't really justify that bill. Yeah. But so I was working at the time as an intern. And my idea of an internship is like, I'm on the job learning while also offering a service mm-hmm. and working. Um, so it's, it's a mutually beneficial arrangement. Um, the Chapel Hill church, it was maybe less than mutually beneficial. Yeah. Um, and so at the next church I went to was actually an internship. I was looking for an internship at a church, Presbyterian, North Carolina, basically. Um, I had a friend that went to Wake Forest who was attending First Pres Winston-Salem, and that was kind of what led me there. Um, personal connections, Trump, everything else always. Um, and so ended up being there, and they had an established internship program where they had three interns a year, uh, and it was intentional, like, this is what you give the church, and this is what we are giving to you. We are mm-hmm. developing you. We are pouring into you because we believe that there's value in that. And so at least, you know, after all those things, I decided that on the job training and, you know, learning ministry by doing and doing us alongside others that I respected was the way that I was going to seek my training. Okay. That kind of like apprenticeship almost model. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so youth ministry... I, it feels like the job they assign the interns. You know what I mean? Like it feels like that thing that's low on the totem pole that they're like, oh yeah, you can just work with the youth. You know what I mean? Like at, at my internship during seminary that I, you know, paid to be in, uh, I ran the youth ministry as well because that was the thing that was needed to get done. And I'm a young person who can do it. So was that your experience with the ministry positions that you had as you were interning? Or do you felt, because I know you preach some, do you felt that you got to be more broad or did you feel kind of shoehorned into where they thought your gifts should be? My desire was always youth ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I wanted from the beginning. Um, and I never saw it as a stepping stone to something else. Um, mm-hmm. I entertained briefly uh, the idea that music ministry was my Nineveh. Um, <laughs> yeah. But really um, it was youth ministry was the thing that I wanted to do. And I didn't feel like it was a stepping stone. I didn't feel like it was less than. I felt like there was value in it. Um, And I enjoyed it. When I was in high school and you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, my answer was fun. And (laughs) 
being able to plan games and do messy things and go on trips. And I really enjoy teenagers. I think that they have, um, they get a bad rap, but they're pretty cool. Yeah. And you're amazing with them. Like the relationships that I've seen you build with the youth that you've worked with have just not surprised me, but like, I'm always in awe of it. Um, because I tend to hold everybody at a little bit of a distance knowing that like, I'm not here forever. Whereas I notice that like you jump in with both feet and you're like, I'm going to love you as well as I can while I'm here. And I've always just been really impressed by that. Um, so Ethan, let me ask you this. Did you, have you, when you thought about ministry, always only thought of yourself as somebody who would be like the quote unquote senior pastor or solo pastor, or did you ever consider other avenues within ministry? Never, if I was yeah. really honest with you. My parents have, have been lifelong youth workers and youth leaders and ministers um, since like we started going back to church and I uh, hated it. <laughs> and so uh, and, and meaning no disrespect to youth leaders or youth uh, ministers or anything. They're very important and very great. And but uh, as the child of a youth uh, minister or as the child of youth leaders, I just awful awful uh and so and so i did a ton of youth ministry like i've got a youth ministry background you know and i and i know how to do it a little bit but um it was never my thing i almost beat a child up that was not good that was at my internship church it was fine everything was fine i didn't beat him up but i thought about it i thought about it I have punched multiple teenage boys see everything's fine joe everything's fine <laughs> I almost punched one teenage boy, and and Pam Pam Laz has punched many, so we're fine. We're fine. And that concludes our youth ministry portion of the conversation. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so you have this kind of moving, trying to learn, um alongside colleagues and you're kind of like progressing through despite this <laughs> this one church telling you that you can't be a ministry what because i know since i know your story i know that like uh churches have shifted and as you said at the beginning uh church is not your thing anymore so what changed like at what point did it come go from i'm going to learn and i'm going to go forward and like this is where i really feel that I am, am being led to work, if that is like the right words for it. Where did you go from that to I'm surviving in this field and need to be done? So after Winston-Salem, where I was an intern, I got my first big kid job um, where I was the actual director of high school ministry and of youth music programs. Hmm. I moved to middle of nowhere, Illinois. Hmm. and really thought like this was the thing I was going to be there for at least five years like this is gonna be my first like big thing I was putting down roots I was all in and on my fourth day on the job I left on a 10-day choir tour um, and that's where things got rough hmm. um, things were pretty hard there because people were mean mm. And I wrote a letter after four months on the job. I never sent it. It's just called Dear Church. 
Um, but I honestly have gone back and read it at least once a year because it, to me, like captured the problem that I was sensing there of that, like I was being attacked. And my first words were, I'm sorry that I hurt you. Dear church, I'm sorry that I hurt you. Wow. And it really comes from a place of like being attacked personally. And like, I only wanted good things and I felt so abused and misunderstood. I left it there after 20 months on the job with no plan because I decided I needed to go home and be surrounded by people that loved me and go to therapy and look for my next job in a healthier place rather than being motivated by I've got to get out. Mm -hmm. Six other staff members left that church the same in the same three month period that I did. Wow. So that is um, indicative of something larger than me there is all I claim Mm. that to say. Can I ask what kind of behavior you experience? Um, This church was an old church, deeply entrenched in tradition. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was dying. But they still had money, right? But they still had money because they were uh, the wealthy, wealthy people went there. They had put a bunch of stuff in investment accounts Mm -hmm. in the church. So they were basically having most of their... um, they were they were uh, accruing interest mm-hmm. that was helpful, mm-hmm. um, and everything was personal. Um, it was Pamela is here to serve me, and she's not doing what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, it was um, very yeah, like in the church, we all know that the line between professional and personal. Is very blurred. Um, but at this church, I was attacked on personal levels from the very beginning. Hmm. So much that like I was uh, attacked for what my hair looked like. And I was attacked for um, things that I said taken out of context. Um, Love it. Multiple times. Um, and... There was a lot of he said, she said gossip spinning that only escalated things. Um, And I, listen, was 23 and foolishly hopeful that like, this was going to be great. This is the place where God had called me. Um, And so when things were bad, I like almost gave it the benefit of the doubt. Like, "Mm, Mm. this is just a rocky thing or that's just this one person. And I think that that um, naivety uh, weighted me into worse waters. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked a lot on this podcast about the idea of call and how um, how it gets used against us and used to manipulate us into staying into places that are not good for us. Because it's where, right, like you even said earlier, this is my Nineveh, right? This is the difficult place God wants me to go. Um and and we try to push back against that, but it's just such a um, an engrossing thought, you know. It's it's really hard to let go. So I feel you on that for sure. Mm-hmm. So I left there and really wanted to look for a different job outside of the church, but something in me was saying like, "No, you need to work at a church again. You need to be a youth minister. You still need to be a youth minister. You had a bad experience." That's fine. You can redeem this. And then, you know, when you like kind of break up with a like 
uh, a boyfriend that like you thought was like the one mm-hmm. um, and then you just mm. like start dating someone that like honestly isn't good for you but like they're your rebound yeah yeah that's, that's this next church they are my rebound church <laughs> those uh, are always the best relationships though too they're the they're the most fun yeah, they're the most terrible. outside of your wheelhouse you're like boy this relationship just ended but you know this person over here totally not my not my style at all i don't mind it I like Not it. My style. You, you joined a holiness Pentecostal church. <laughs> That's where this is going. <laughs> I wish. Just another old Presbyterian church. <laughs> Not um, you had your chance. Snake handling. But uh, interview, everything went really well. Uh, really seemed meant to be. And then when I got there, they hadn't represented themselves completely honestly. Mm-hmm. They didn't really want me. They wanted to want me. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And um, no one really trusted me because my predecessor had broken everyone's trust. And they oh. held me responsible or like, I don't know, they just transferred that to me. Mm-hmm. So I really couldn't do a lot. And I think about that church a lot. Like, could I have redeemed it? I don't know. I don't know. But I was only there for six months because... It just wasn't good. And one day I was feeling discouraged and the senior pastor walked into my office and I was like, I just need a minute. Like I'm feeling discouraged. I'd like to hear your opinion. I kind of shared a little bit. He leaned over my desk, wrote be positive on a post-it note and shoved it to my wall uh, and walked away. That's Um, a five-star pastor right there. I've been, we've been doing it too hard. We've been trying too much. We're trying too much. (laughs) Uh, it's so it's so easy to be a man i don't know why everybody <laughs> just doesn't do it it's, it's the easiest thing in the world to be a man so i was uh currently under contract on a house that i was purchasing oh, yeah. um, so couldn't really just quit my job with no plan um was also living in a manse on their property um so i moved out of that so that i didn't lose my job and my uh ho- housing at the same time I Googled Youth Ministry Charlotte, and a job five minutes from my new house popped up. I called the church office right away. I said, I want to speak to the senior pastor. They transferred me, which, that's weird. Yeah, Um, I would not have. (laughs) They transferred me. I said, I hear you're looking for a youth minister. I'd like to know what you're looking for. I think I might be that person. Uh, This was during Advent. Um, wow. three weeks later, I was offered a job. And this is the United Methodist Church. This is the United Methodist Church. Yeah, That's this one is all it. my fault because I vouched for the UMC and I should have known. So sweet Literally, summer town that I was. <laughs> in the interview, these are the words that were said to me. I'm ready. Would you consider yourself a fundamentalist Bible beater? Because you kind of sound like one. <gasps> oh, no. I forgot this. Pamela knows the Bible better than I do. And I know the Bible better than like Ethan and Ian do. So anytime that's, I throw out Bible. That's definitely true because the Bible's hella boring. God. So you, know, <laughs> you guys are set. Anyway. Wow. But you're not. You just know your Bible and you care about scripture. And I just said like it's my intention to teach using the Bible as my foundation rather than my own opinions. Hmm. Because honestly, I'm not doing that great. <laughs> Also, like these are Methodists. Like, also these the are church like, people. Why are you mad that I want to teach the Bible? Right. God. <laughs> um. 
So one, a weird thing to think, two, an even weirder thing to say out loud to me, but. And in a job interview. (laughs) Yeah. This was in my like third or fourth final one with, that was just me and the senior pastor one-on-one. But here, I I will say I made some mistakes here um, at this church. Uh, There were a lot of traditions that I, 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 I waited and then I started kind of trouble in the waters a little, testing things. Um, so it wasn't perfect, but also this is where I fell out out of love with youth ministry. Hmm. I don't, there was nothing like, I mean, there were things at this church, but there's not one thing that I'm like, this is why. I just think that it caught up to me at this point of my past shitty church experiences and this one wasn't perfect or the dream. And I just felt like, and I will say, so the one good church that I have nothing bad to say about was the church in Winston-Salem. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have some, whatever. It was a positive experience. But one thing that they left me with there that's really stuck with me is that like thinking of my job with a kingdom framework. Hmm. Like, you're not just working at churches, you're working for the good of the kingdom. And so I ultimately left the Methodist church uh, because I didn't want to be paid for a kingdom job when I didn't feel like I was doing kingdom work. Say more. Explain. I I feel like I follow you, but I want to I want to hear more from you on it. Like, I could have stayed there. I could have run the programs. I could have planned the events. I could have taken the kids to coffee. I could have kept doing my job right so that everyone was happy plan the youth sunday preach a time or two help the worship band help the do all the things um but i didn't my heart wasn't in it i didn't feel like i was called to it anymore um i felt like i was just going through the motions and a little bit like taking advantage of a really good situation Mm -hmm. and i didn't want that i wanted to be paid for for doing good work and i didn't so um i left here without a plan um i had just gotten married two months before and it really just hit me of like this is not good for me i'm not enjoying it um someone else could come in here and do this better and that's what this church deserves Mm. Hmm. You see, I think uh, that's a that's an interesting story, Pamela. I mean, one of the things that I struggle with when it comes to youth ministry, uh, and I think it's connected, possibly connected to to your kind of interpretation of kingdom work, is I'm not always sure what the what what we're supposed to be producing with youth ministry. Like, mm. I'm not always I'm not always confident. I I fully grasp it. Like, on one hand, there it is good to talk to young people about God and about faith and, and it's good to try to help them cultivate a sense of communion with God and a sense of discipleship and all of that stuff. Very good, important work. On the other hand, there isn't really any like structure that's set up to bring young people into the fold of a Christian community for a sort of a long-term or a long haul way. Like that's just not the way things are, things work. Like 
by and large, mainline churches are wrapped around either old retired folks or they're wrapped around families. They're not really wrapped around um, uh, allowing for young people to be fully enmeshed in the life of a Christian community. And so often in my, this is purely my experience, often the youth ministry resources that I found pretty much exist to, to compete with all of the other things that, that young people are encouraged to be a part of. Hmm. Um, and so that's just my experience with doing youth ministry. Like if I want to find a good youth ministry curriculum, it's a curriculum that doesn't really have a lot to say about what does it mean to be a part of a Christian community? What does it mean to be a, a disciple of Jesus? It's, it's a curriculum about getting through high school or it's curriculum or, or it's, um, experiential based like activities where we get you on a short-term mission or we go to creation festival or we, 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 we try to get you to choose this over a concert with your favorite musician. We try to get you to choose this over going out and partying or whatever we imagine young people are doing. And I just don't see, I, I struggle with that because I don't see kingdom building in that. Like I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what to do with that. That's purely my experience. I don't know if that really reflects sort of how you're envisioning kingdom work versus, you know, what you were experiencing at this United Methodist Church. But that's, as you were telling me that story, that, that really, that's sort of what resonates with me. So a huge part of my philosophy of youth ministry is centered around identity. The years from, you know, middle school to high school and beyond are um, chief times for developing our sense of identity and we're given as people a bunch of identity scripts, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. a 16 year old girl acts this way and a soccer player likes these things and a heterosexual person acts this way and a Christian acts this way. Mm -hmm. And I think that as um, we as adults can walk alongside teenagers discovering and developing how their identity scripts fit together because no one has only one, sure. right? Like you're, you're defined by your age and your gender and your sexual attraction and your hobbies and your physical characteristics. And um, I think a gift that I was given in college um, was the ability to walk alongside people from small conservative towns where they grew up Christian um, and then had come to UNC and been able to um, explore the full uh, range of themselves for the first time mm -hmm. and then wanted to have conversations with another person that was safe. But how did these go together when like at face value, it doesn't look like they do mm -hmm. or what I've always been told is these things don't fit together. And I think that well-formed adolescents and teenagers lead to better adults. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and instilling foundational truths about um, what Christianity is, what Christians believe, what Christians do, 
um, it's all building blocks, I think, to be used going forward. It's just learning. Uh, I always use the verse, the greatest commandment, love one another as you love yourself and love the Lord your God. All the commandments hang on these. Uh, and broke it down three ways of like loving other people and how do we engage in healthy relationships. If we love other people as ourselves, that means we have to love ourselves. What does it look like to love yourself as an awkward middle schooler? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And then what does it look like to love God as a teenager or in the future? And so I don't, I don't necessarily think that you see the idea of kingdom work is stepping outside of the framework of the church and saying like, how is God glorified in anything that we do at any age? Sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've had um, students text me, like I had a text about a month ago from one of my students at the church in Illinois. And he said, I just need you to know that I still think of the lessons you taught us and I value that and still tell people about it. And I just thank you. Hmm. So I know that like that's kingdom work there because that guy is a mid twenties adult. He's got a job. He's doing life. And yet he still remembers things that I said to him for better or for worse. Sure. (laughs) Sure. But it sounds like for better, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've been questioning a lot whether I still believe everything that I once taught. Mm. And so I wonder, like, what did I teach? Because, like, I was all in on it at the time that now with a step back, I'm like, oh, I might have drank a little too much of the Kool-Aid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that, um, especially when I think about the Christian summer camp that I worked at in high school, where, like, I, I just know that I spouted things that I no longer think are true at all. And, like, and that my idea of hell is completely different and my idea of salvation is completely different. Um, but I also know that like, I love the crap out of those kids and that, um, that like maybe some of the other stuff is, is going to fall away. Now I say that fully knowing that like, I am just a bundle of church trauma and it's because people who love me said terrible things to me. So it, it's hard. It's hard to know, not that you would have done that at all, but that like, it's hard to know what we believe at the time, how it's going to last and and what fruit it's going to bear completely. Um, especially when like, you're just, you are, you're teaching the things that you know to teach, you know, that's, that's what you know at the time you're doing what you can do. And how can we ask ourselves to do anything different? But maybe that's a cop out. Hmm. Hmm. What kind of crazy things did you say at camp, Joe? I want to (laughs) know. Oh God. Um, under no circumstances, can you be gay? (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I didn't say that. Uh, but definitely a lot of like, uh, purity coded stuff of like, Mm. you want to be very careful about who you engage in relationships with, you know, um, (laughs) or, you know, I see you talking to the boys in the basketball court and I just, I I want you to be careful because temptation can come in at any place. And it's like, that's not healthy. So out of the churches that you've worked at, is there a particular way of organizing staff or culture among the staff that you found is is healthy and like helps you grow and do that kingdom work or is like the staff the staff organization insignificant compared to the health of the congregation 
do you kind of see what I'm asking? Yeah. Oh, that's very important. Um, I think this is my big main idea. The senior pastor, lead pastor, head pastor, whatever you call him, needs to manage his staff Mm. or her staff. I once worked at a church where the senior pastor once said, our staff is so good, we don't need accountability. No. And I just felt like that's a huge red flag because, like, accountability only makes us better Mm -hmm. and is healthy. Mm Mm-hmm. I have gone into multiple churches asking to be led, saying, like, I know that I'm young. I know that I don't have a degree or as much experience as you. Um, So I, like, want to invite that. I want to be led. I want to be led professionally and spiritually. I have never received that. So that is hard for me. And I know that, like, well, I don't know. I assume, and you guys can both uh, weigh in on this. That there's no classes on uh, people managing in seminary. Hmm. Uh, How, to be a good boss. How to be a good boss. There kind of oh. are, though. I think pastoral care and counseling was aimed to be really broad reaching. And it was a lot about like how you can pastorally counsel, but it's also about like how you build good relationships. We right, have and- people put that in a box and think it's just talking about their congregation and their volunteer leaders. Well, then that's people that are paid to work with them. I, I actually I think you're right, Pamela. I think that I think your instinct is correct. Like I th- I think that something that we try to do in this podcast is we try to approach pastoring as a job, mm-hmm. and and that's something that seminary that that's just not the way seminary works. Like like there really is no like class where where somebody says, it, you know, at the end of the day, you are the CEO of a local nonprofit, and this is how right. this is how you do stuff. You know, that's that's just not on the radar. Instead, we're a part of the X-Men, you know, and And we all have to give our all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think I actually think you're dead right, Pamela. I don't think that I think that's not there at all. I mean, there are whole degree programs like an MBA with a concentration in management. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a problem in a lot of our uh, secular industries, too, when we promote people who are good at doing tasks but don't have the gifts of management like it's a it's a soft skill but it's a real skill Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i also think that so i will say i've worked at presbyterian and methodist churches um so the elder situation Mm -hmm. one church i was like assigned an elder that was like the youth ministry elder okay and then I had like, I was supposed to like talk. To, I don't know. Were like, were they in charge of me, or was I in charge of them? Like, mm-hmm. that was not defined. And I think that we don't do anything, anyone, any favors when we don't just like define expectations mm-hmm. um, and like leave things vague and unclear. Um, another church, there was a elder for Christian education, and that elder chaired the Christian Education Committee which I was on. Hmm. So again, another situation where an elder was put in a position over a power over me Hmm. and that's their volunteer gig because they've got other stuff going on, but it's my full-time job. So I found it very like limiting of like, they wanted to approve every little thing I did. So I 
right. would literally go into the office and I would do an hour or two of work and then feel like I'm just in a holding pattern until this elder gets back to me and says I can move forward, sure. yeah. which was very handicapping to me. Um, yeah. And so I do think clearly defined roles between the staff and the lay leadership. Um, what is the expectation here? How does it work in your denomination and how does it work in your local church? Um, because I think that as someone who's been on staff but not ordained in any way, there was a huge like, I don't know who has a right to tell me what to do or if I am the one calling the shots. Like, And that yeah. just holds everyone back, I think. Yeah. Because you're not you're not empowering people to do the things that they can do, and you're also not giving people a sense of how their position fits into the overall purpose and, and mission of the organization, and it, like it's just basic stuff like that that like I I don't know where I learned how to do it, but I know that I've known how to do it since college. You know, like maybe I learned it in SAI and like in understanding right. what the job descriptions are for like members of our fraternity, but like. If a frat can do it, surely churches can do it, you know? If a bunch of college kids can <laughs> abide by rules that make sense and at least function. Now, right, there are and I do plenty. think that that uh, jumps in on the um, one last point about it is that I think a lot of people walk around churches afraid to piss other people off. Mm. As staff, you don't want to pass piss off the lay leaders. You don't want to piss off the congregation. The congregation kind of walks around like they don't want to piss you off, but also they don't really care because they think that you work for them. Right. Uh, and so it's like clarity and accountability. Gosh, let me tell you. So I work at a law firm now. Mm -hmm. And in the interview, she said to me, I want you to know what the expectation is and what we're proposing because clear is kind. Ooh, That's right. I like And that. I have told everyone I know that. My dad took it to work. It's like their new motto. And he's like yes. way up there. Like he's had the same job for 30 plus years. Uh, but clear as kind is something that is I've never heard in the church. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a huge miss. You know, it kind of caps captures all of this. Of If we can be clear about what the expectations are, about what your role is and how you work together, what you have the authority to do and what you don't have the authority to do. Like... I think it would be a game changer and that is not so specific into like, I don't know. That's how I would capture what a healthy church leadership looks like. Mm. Yeah. I, Cause I think that maps onto any size church leadership, right? Like right. when I got to my first church, I was like, we need to plan out a job description for me. I need to see the job description for the music minister. I need to see who's in leadership and what their tasks are. Like we were moving to a different leadership model and I'm like, we need to get all this together so that we can figure out who's going to do what. So we do it. And so everybody knows. And that, that kind of floored everybody <laughs> that I was like, no, I need to know what you expect of me because I'm not going to sit in the office. Ethan and I talked about this way back when I'm not going to sit in the office four days a week when there's nobody here and ministry is out in the world. Right. Um, Ooh, so yeah, yeah. I uh, have had multiple conversations with my therapist about the fact that I set really high expectations for myself. Mm. Um, and then I hold everyone else to those same expectations and she mm -hmm. said to me, Pamela, they don't, one, they don't know about your expectations for them. And two, they didn't agree to them. 
That's true. So I'm sitting there being mad at my coworkers because I don't feel like they're pulling their weight when they're doing their job the way they feel they should. And I'm just mad that they're not doing it my way. And I can't sit here and hold a grudge against them because they don't even know about what my expectations for them are. Right. And so I think that's like good clarity, Joe, about what what is the right to see other people's job descriptions that you know you're going to interact with, you know? Yeah. I had attention with um, the children's minister and stuff because I was like, I need to know what you're doing because that affects what I inherit. Absolutely. Yeah. And so like I – one of the fights at one of the churches was that I tried to play a game where Bible characters were the theme and my high school students told me, I don't know any Bible characters. <laughs> and I laughed. Right. Because they were church kids. They were self-proclaimed kids who go to church regularly, have been in church for years. I thought I wasn't asking them to name minor prophets. Right. Or secondary characters. I was I was going to start with like Eve. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. Like, yeah, yeah. So um, I think that, you know, knowing what's expected of you and knowing what is expected of the other people that you work with feels a little bit like scandalous. Like, should I get to see someone else's job description? But it's not in the sake of nosiness. It's in the sake of wanting to do better. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Uh, Ethan, do you have a question to jump in with? I have one more that I want to talk about in this episode before we round things out. But anything that's stirring around in your brain? Nope. Ask it away. So do you think that you can manage an unhealthy congregation into health? Like, do you think, right? Because you mentioned at one church that like the people were just mean and that like the staff quit. Uh, And so do you think that it is possible or do you think that there is some other intangible thing going on there with congregations? So I will say that a lot of people in congregations often like to start with, you know, my name's Burr 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 and I've been a member here for 25 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And that sentence to me states, this is more my church than your church. Mm -hmm. and I don't really care what you're here for. You're going to be gone in a matter of years, Um, which I know is a complexity in the Methodist church with, you know, the superintendent having the itinerant system. Yeah. A little bit of power there. Um, But the lessons I've learned or the lessons I've been told is don't change anything within your first year. Listen, understand why they do what they do. And then if you're going to, you know, offer changes or suggestions, then you can um, do that with the basis, uh, with the foundation of good relationships and yada, yada, yada. As someone who's only been in youth ministry, I don't, I, I, I have taken an unhealthy youth group and turned it into a health. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that could be done on the larger scale because with my youth group, I inherited a youth group of about 20 after 10 days in, I was down to less than four. Um, And two of those kids were the pastor's kids. Uh, (laughs) And then I grew it back 
fresh. Mm. Um, and so it was really a different crop of kids that were bought into, you know, the way I was doing things. Um, I don't know that you can change. Uh, I don't know if there's a threshold of how many members in the church to change it, but I think it is a long, arduous process that really you have to like, your heart has to be in it because it's gonna not be pretty at times. You know, you can't just do it because you want to do it really well. Mm -hmm. I think that to take an unhealthy church and redeem it, which I use the word redeem because that's language that was always used when we would talk about our unhealthy churches that we were working in of that, like wherever there's a remnant, God can still redeem it. So if there's a remnant in the church of people, like if you walk into a church and there's like nothing there, I think you're pretty hopeless. But if there's at least some people in the church that like get it, I think there's a chance but I also think that it's a, it's quite the uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I I got to think about why that remnant language feels gross to me. Um, probably because it's like rooted in like Paul's like vaguely anti-Semitic idea of supersessionistic Christianity. Mm, I kind of feel like it's rooted in Old Testament stuff. Yeah, I, I, yeah, there's that too. But then, but then we take that as Christians and we turn it into. Um, there'll be like a remnant of righteous Jews that will understand that Jesus is Lord, you know, and that's gross. Um, but, but it is very, like that language is very biblical. Um, yeah, I gotta think more about that, but, but I think you're right. Like I often thought towards the end of my time in my placement, that if there had been two or three leaders that were like fully committed to carrying forward with the vision that I had cast for the church, that like, we could have done it. It would have been hard, but like we could have done it and there and like God would have come alongside us, you know? Uh, but as it stood there, I would have to win people to me and I didn't have it in me to do that. And I think, I think that holds true on a larger scale, unless you are, um, a force of nature, you know? Um, and even if you are a force of nature, right? Like every flood runs out. I don't know. I think you're right though. You always got to get buy-in. That's the thing. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Pamela, Pamela, I think put it in, and as she explained how she grew back a youth group, like that's the answer, right? Yes, you went from twenty to four in ten days. It doesn't matter. the The sixteen kids that left left because they didn't buy into what you were doing, and you grew. You know, it you grew it and made it healthier with folks who were prepared to buy in. And mm-hmm. I think that that's really the only way a church like there like if if a church is not prepared, if you can't get buy in from anybody, whether longtime members of a church or folks on the periphery or the outside that you're ministering to, then uh, that's not really on anybody. It's just it's just reality. Like I would consider that to be dead, you know, like like that would be that would be like for me, you know, if I were looking at a church community. And I and I see that like oh yeah man pe- people just don't care they just don't want it you know maybe that's just it could be on me could easily be on me or or whatever leader but uh, at the same time if I'm the leader appointed there it doesn't matter if another leader could have done it better like right. I'm the leader that's appointed there you know hmm hmm hmm, hmm. 
Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I'm trying to think of, of the note to end it on. But I think that's such a profound idea to kind of leave it with is that like the buy-in has to be there. And, um, and, and for pastors who are struggling in congregations now with, you know, the world as it is, nobody really has the buy-in to give, I think, a lot of the times right now. And so there's a lot of just maintaining until, until we've got the wherewithal to move forward, uh, which is exhausting and not what anybody wants. Pamela, do you have any final thoughts? Anything that you want to circle back to before we wrap up this episode? Um, I will say my final thoughts in the past, let's call it six months. Mm. I've been relating the American Christian church um, to Oz. To Oz. Is it? Do we have this greater idea of it in our heads than what it really is? Mm, mm. Are pastors just men behind a curtain that once you've seen behind the curtain, you just can't appreciate it anymore? Um, are our expectations for the church too great? And that's a reason why several of us are dissatisfied with the modern church. Hmm. So that's the metaphor that I'm going through after all my experiences, because really I've worked at different churches, different sizes, all fairly old. We'll be honest, none of them are like church plants. Right. But different uh, churches trenched in tradition. But they're all really the same. Mm -hmm. You know, looking back on them, they're so, so similar. So is it like the Wizard of Oz and the City of Oz? A, A grand idea in the distance, but when you get there, maybe not all it's cracked up to be. Hmm. I don't know if you hate that. That's kind of where I feel. No, I like it. I don't hate it. But no, I think that's a, I think that's a helpful metaphor. I think that's why we kind of come back to it as a touchstone for, um, for things not being as they seem. But I think it's also important to remember that like, once you know who the wizard is, things start changing, you know, like once we kind of see things for what they are, that's when we can finally move forward and and make a better world and so like yeah let's go ahead and like pull back the curtain because that's that's kind of what we need to do i like it can i wrap us up for the main episode yeah pamela thanks so much for being on this was delightful we'll have to have you back again when we can dig into some other stuff to go along with ministry so yeah but ethan will you send us off i will friends thanks for listening this has been an episode of what the hell is a pastor we are ethan and joe and pamela And we will see you next time. What the Hell is a Pastor is a part of the Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Shulmolf, performed by Joe Shulmolf, Ian Uriola, and Paul Uriola, and produced by Paul Uriola. Email us at wtheckisapastor at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash disruptive disciples, on Twitter at WTHIAP, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash WTHIAP, where you can get access to pillow talk, sign cards, custom essays, and so much more. Thanks for listening, and embrace clarity, friends. <laughs>